We'll open your Bibles uh, to Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. Uh, we got through most of our material last week and just kind of rest a little bit in portions of 7. We will pick up with, the, uh, start with the first plague that is at the end of the 7th chapter and then try to you know, uh, get through chapter 11 this evening. Before we get into the material itself, very quickly I want to uh, do a better job running through the review than I did last night. It took too long last week, you know, reviewing. And so I just want to very quickly bring up some points uh, uh, to be mindful of uh, as you continue to meditate on God's word in this study. One, in chap- you know, think of chapter 5, some things that you know, we tried to bring out, I tried to bring out, is one is men can be ignorant of God. And you see that with the example of Pharaoh. He did not know God. And that was true. But what's sad is that ignorance, though, can lead to spiritual rejection and rebellion. And you see that an ongoing process in Pharaoh's life. Another point is that we can kind of see in chapter 5 is the fact that the adversaries of God, like Pharaoh, will seek to distract and divide God's people. And you see that in his making their work and labors harder so that they will not be thinking about God. And another point we tried to bring out, maybe not so well, we didn't do such a good job, and that is the idea of true worship of God, genuine, sincere worship of Jehovah, definitely is not something that's lazy. Even though that's the accusation that Pharaoh makes, but no, when we are truly worshiping God, it is work. Joyful and worthwhile work, but it is labor of heart, mind, and body. In chapter 6, one point, and that is, you know, that's brought out, is that the I am God, Jehovah, is the God of action. Uh, talks about how he establishes covenant with the fathers and, 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 and work through them, and thus he promises that he will continue to deliver, redeem, and give Israel the land that he has had spoken of. You see also in chapter 6 that the difficult circumstances that they have been enduring and going through did have an effect on the people. You know, when Moses and Aaron come back and first talk to people, they're all excited, they believe, they worship God. But when they come back to kind of encourage them, remind them about what is before them, you know, they don't believe. They will not listen to God's message and God's messenger. And so their difficulties, the hardships that Pharaoh and the Egyptians had placed upon had become a discouragement, and it had taken a toll on God's people. And so there's a lesson in that for us to learn, in how our circumstances, likewise, if we're not on guard, start taking a toll on us spiritually. In chapter 7, you know, you know, something to bring out is the idea that you know, God Almighty is the one who stretches out his hand, and he does so by great judgments. And he's doing this so that all will know him. He's not judging Egypt just to execute justice. Uh, But he's doing it to reveal himself so that the Egyptians, the Israelites, and everyone will come to know who the I Am is, who God truly is. And one more point just to bring out in chapter 7 before we get into the, the, the... Uh, the plague of turning the water to blood, and that is the work of God will accomplish two things. It will either humble hearts or it will harden hearts. But it will do its its job. 
it will accomplish one or the other. You know, it does not go you know, null and, and void and in vain in its effort. And so God's message is doing the work that he intends it for it to do. And you see it humbling those who have receptive hearts, hardening those who have unreceptive hearts. Uh, does anyone have anything they would like to bring up uh, as a sense of review, maybe in some of those sections from you know, chapter 1 all the way through chapter 7? Anybody would like to share anything? All right, well, let's move on. I know, you know the circumstance with the mask, it, it does make it challenging, you know, but do feel free to speak up, you know, raise your hand or just yell, whatever, and uh, share your thoughts in, in this study that we, you know, we're doing together. And so we, we get in now into the plagues, the plagues uh, upon Egypt. And it's still in this uh, section of our outline where God is showing his power. And he's showing his power over Egypt. And obviously the plagues is one way he does that. And, and what we have here is basically ten object lessons. Each plague is a lesson. It's a lesson for everyone who witnesses it. And you think about that these plagues and the plagues that are coming upon Egypt to teach the Egyptians something as well as to teach the Israelites something. Both are to be learning the lesson that God intends for them to learn. But it struck me today as I'm thinking about you know, uh, you know, the lesson in my notes. And that is, what would be our object lessons if God needed to humble us? I'm not, I, I'm not really wanting an answer by just kind of throwing out that idea. Here is God teaching and revealing himself to Egypt and to the Israelites. And, and each plague is a lesson to be learned. And there's something there is to be gained. And it's made me wonder, if, if, if we needed to be humbled in some way, you know, what would be the object lesson that God would use for us as, as his people? Or you think, you know, as a nation, you know, what would be the object lesson that God would use that would, you know, put upon the land to, to teach our, our country, our nation, you know, what we need to know about himself and about listening to him and humbling. Or, or even as a group, as a, a body, a collective body of God's people. If we were needing object lessons, what would they be? Well, I don't know what they would be. But it did make me think, you realize God still is very much alive and God still very much you know, is in control uh, of the universe. He works in the affairs of men. You know, he is among his people. It's not beyond God you know, in regard with his purpose or his power to use an object lesson. And, and we need to be listening and looking for those things. Nathan. I think, you know, when you think about that and, you know, with, with this situation, they, they had a messenger. He had a messenger right. from Moses mm -hmm. to come out and warn them about mm -hmm. that. But I think quite often in our times we think, well, God doesn't do that stuff anymore. Mm -hmm. And we might tend to even think, you know, more naive, be more naive and think, well, God doesn't, you know, enter into the um, affairs of men today like he did then. And, you know, he's very capable of doing so if he wants to. Right. You know, and just, for instance, the, you know, the nation, our nation as it is now. Mm -hmm. who, who's to know if he hasn't already done some of those things? Right. Because mm -hmm. we don't have that, maybe we don't have the Moses out shouting 
you know, comment explain them to us, yes. explain them to us. Mm -hmm. But who's to know that, you know, 2020 wasn't a result of that. Right. You know, mm -hmm. there, it could have been, but, you know, God can still do and be be in the affairs of men today just as he was back in this oh, time. Oh, definitely, definitely. And so it just basically calls for us to, you know, that we just need to reflect. We need to take the time and reflect and, and, and measure ourselves and, and make sure we're, we are walking in the light, that we're abiding in the light and being all that we need to be, no matter what our circumstances are. So with that said, let's get into, into the plagues. You know, uh, hopefully you've, you've read the chapters. Uh, you, uh, I know all of you are very familiar you know, with this section of Exodus. And so we're not going to take the time to really read you know, sections of it. But let's just you know, take the time to talk a little bit about it. So you start with the first one. You've got you know, uh, the turning you know, the water to blood. And so what, what's just interesting to me is you, as you look particularly there in verse 16, verse 17, is this idea that, yes, as Nathan brought out, you know, you know, with these object lessons, God has a messenger, and he is commuting, he's communicating the message. So we, so we have specifics here for us to, to glean. And so we have God communicating the purpose of this plague. And you look at there, it wasn't just simply to punish Pharaoh for stubbornness. Well, that, that's one reason. But that's not the only reason, if you look at it. Because it was also intended to teach them you know, that... You know, he is God, that he is God I am. And so you see that you know, in verse 17. By this you will know that I am the Lord. And so these object lessons, each one is a demonstration of his character, his power, you know, his purpose. And so God, through Moses and Aaron, turns you know, the waters in Egypt to blood. And, and what waters did that include? That's right. Included everything, you know. And so obviously you had the, the Nile River. That's the big water source. But it talks about streams and pools, reservoirs, and, and whatever vessel, whether it's a stone vessel or a wooden vessel. And, and so when you think about the magnitude of this, you know, miraculous plague, uh, uh, a natural phenomenon as an explanation just doesn't work. You know, you know, because how could you affect the Nile River to such an extent that all the fish die? You know, we know natural bodies of water can be polluted in some way and cause fish to die. But at the same time, that's happening. Of course, you know, it was turned to blood. That wasn't the only water source that was affected. And so you think, here you are, if, you know, you know, let's say Stone's River is turned to blood one day by God's work, you know, and you open up your fridge, and you're about to reach in to get your water bottle, and what is it? It's blood. And you, you, and you stick, your, stick your cup into your water dispenser in your fridge, and what is it? It's blood. And so it, you know, it, the point is to see this miracle was a devastating impression to say, I am God here. Now, they don't learn that. You know, it's going to take them a long time to, to, to really you know, get, start learning all that they need to know. But we see here God turning you know, something that the Egyptians trusted, something that the Egyptians valued, something that actually the Egyptians worshipped, particularly the Nile River. It was, it was essential to their livelihood. He, he turns that into a river of death. What would have been a source of life becomes a source of death to them. They can't get water from there. To sustain them. 
Now, we know the Egyptians could duplicate that. You know, I'm not going to try to explain how they did that. But the, the word of the God does say there's some way they were able to dupl- duplicate this. But, you know, what could they not do? They might can duplicate, okay, here, I can turn something to, you know, to blood here. But what could they not do what, what has already been done? They could not undo anything, right? So you have here, here is you know, the, the the magician who can mimic what has truly been done by miraculous power, the hand of God, but they cannot undo it. And of course, this begins the whole hardening process of Pharaoh, which is essential to bring it to the point where God can will, based in this sense, break His will to let His people go. And so it's, it, so it's going to take all 10 lessons before he gets it. You know, some people are slow learners. And Pharaoh was one of those. The magicians were not. Pharaoh's servants were not. The common people were not as slow in learning what needed to be learned about God. But Pharaoh was a very slow learner. And the interesting thing is, you think of chapter, also with the first plague, is, is down in verse 23, okay, he's, he's witnessed this. It's a devastating thing. It's impacting you know, everybody. They're going to have to go hunt for, for, for fresh water to drink somewhere. You know, and in verse 23, you know, what, you know, actually this was kind of one of the questions you know, from the standpoint uh, there in, in chapter 7. He said, beside being stubborn, what did Pharaoh's reaction to water being turned to blood manifest about his character as a ruler? He's stubborn, we know that. He's hard-headed. But he, he says, okay, he, all this happens, you know, he turns, goes to his house, he says, and, says, and he says, he went to his house in what way? Huh? Without what? He had no concern. Had no concern. I don't know, your, your verse may have a different word than concern. But you think about it, here his whole, his country has been impacted by this miracle. You know? You know, and, and so everyone is without water now. And they're going to go search for water. You know, you know. And you know, how long does this last? We don't know. But we do know at the end of chapter 7, seven days later, they'll be hit with the second plague. So a week later, they're going to be hit again with something. So how long? You know, you know, so this was a, a, a difficulty. This was a challenge. And he walks away with no concern. And to me, that just says something about the kind of character he was in regard to his, how he valued his subjects. Yes. Right. Someone else has to get water for him. You know, I wonder how challenging that was. And that's a good point to bring out. So that's the first, that's the first test. That's the first lesson. And so you got the second lesson with the frogs. And so it's a week later. God, you know, sends, you know, he's going to send the second lesson to him. He sends uh, Moses back, back to, uh, to Pharaoh. And you look there in verse, you know, you know, verse 2 particularly. He says, let my people go, verse 1. Verse 2, if you refuse, then I'm going to do this to you. And it struck me as I was meditating on these plagues and, and saying, okay, what, what do we learn about God? Obviously, God has power over all these elements or, or things in, in, in the universe, in, uh, on earth, and his power is greater than everything. But it struck me in the fact that God didn't have to, didn't have to warn Pharaoh. He says, 
if you refuse to let them go, this is what I'll do to you. So God is warning him. You know, and God is judging him. And basically, he says, if you, know, you have a choice in this whole matter. God, God is a God who warns. God is a God who gives man opportunity to change. God's not cruel. God's not unjust or unrighteous. God is not compassionate. You know, he's not one who is you know, unmerciful. And, and so he, yes, he's gonna, he knows what's going to take. God already knows beforehand because he knows the heart of Pharaoh. And he knows that with every demand that God presents, he knows what Pharaoh's reaction will be. And as a result, Pharaoh will harden himself. And as a result, God's process is hardening him as well. And so, you know, God is revealing himself not as only the God of power over frogs, but he's a God who really wants to give Pharaoh an opportunity to change. Yes, David. Magicians have been uh, acting accordingly. Right. So he must have that as a uh, a trump card out of his sleeve. Oh, yes. I got my magicians. Right. I think, and I think it's a good point to bring out. You know, you know why? Why you know, he's he's stubborn, he's arrogant. You know, all of this hard headed, and what is feeding that? And I think it's you know early on you got all of these demonstrations that seems to be somewhat in his mind or his estimation an equivalence. You know, and so it's you know no 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 big deal. So, so, they, so the frogs come, you know, and they, the magicians still can mimic it at this point the same way. But like, like with the water, they can't stop it, they can't change it, they can't prevent it, and they cannot remove it. So who does Pharaoh have to call to get rid of the frogs? Moses. He doesn't call his magicians. Even the magicians have, have mimicked, mimicked the, the, the miracle in some fashion or form. But that's not who, who he calls because the, they, they can't do that. They can't take away. Now, if they could, that definitely would have been, you know, a power, evidence of a power struggle and they have trumped God's power. But they can't. They can't trump God's power. And so with it, the frogs are taken and now begins, it really, now at this point on, now you begin the whole process of Pharaoh's lies and that going and and the empty promises. So, so that is, is another thread going along here. But when you look at this, you know, for, exa- for example, you know, in under uh, chapter 8 in your questions, you know, uh, I asked, what should uh, Pharaoh have learned from the removing of the frogs? Because you know, you know, you know, Moses is called. He says, okay, I'll do this. But he, then he says, but you, know, you get to pick what day is going to happen. So that you will what? What was the lesson Pharaoh was supposed to learn? No one like God. There's nobody like God. You know, the magicians can't take this away. And, and you get to pick ex- the exact day, the moment that God's going to do this. He says, there's no one who can do that but Jehovah. The only one who can do that is I am. That's the one who does that, that kind of stuff. And it's, you think this whole idea, there's no, there's no God you know, who, who is like him, who not only reveals himself, reveals his power, but also who controls his power in such in- increment ways. Now, 
I think there's another attribute of God here. And this kind of relates really to, to the lesson that Jonathan brought us Sunday evening. You know, when you think the fact that uh, in the removing of the frogs, you know, Pharaoh's asking the frogs to remove. Moses is going to petition God, and God's going to answer that petition. The fact that God takes away the frogs, what does it say about God's character? What are some attributes you think you can think? Okay. Because God didn't have to take them. He had just left the frogs. Merciful. Merciful. Yes. What's another word maybe that you can think of? One that comes out kindness or loving kindness, that really you know, goes along with the word merciful. Compassion. You know, and we don't always pull that out in the fact that everything, you know, God is revealing all these attributes about him. Not only the power to judge and to execute you know, judgments and justice and to show his power is greater than someone else's power, but he's also showing his kindness and his compassion. Yes, he's a God of action, but also he's a God that gives man the opportunity to choose because he made man a free moral agent. With the third plague, you've got, uh, depending on your versions, uh, gnats or, or lice. Uh, supposedly in the Hebrew, you know, the original has it's some kind of biting insect. Is, you know, and so you can see, okay, either of those could be. So you know, we're really not, not for sure what it was, but it definitely was something that came on both man and beast throughout all the land. But this time... There is no warning. God didn't warn them about the coming of this particular plague. And it is at this point that the magician's attitude changes. Because what are, what are they now saying? We can't do this. This is whose hand? This is the finger of God. And now you think the magicians would know what was real... <laughs> Divine heavenly power versus what is, you know, you know, magical arts or you know whatever you know, description you would describe the work they're doing. They they would understand what they can do versus what this is, and they confess to Pharaoh because they can't mimic this, and they say, Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But you know, Pharaoh really doesn't care. He still doesn't care, and he won't listen. Okay? And it struck me as I, I kind of rereading this again, just again today, uh, and that is uh, the phrase that is repeated again and again, for example, there in verse 19 and, and elsewhere, as the Lord had said. You think about it, all the times you read through this, as the Lord has said, as the Lord has said. So everything is translated just as God knew it would happen, and as just as God said it would happen. Uh, and so there's no surprises to God, and therefore it should not, shouldn't be any surprises really to Moses either, because God is communicating through him. Uh, another kind of just interesting fact, there is no record of the removal of this plague. Now, it's not to say it wasn't, but there's no record, so you know, we, we really can't say yea or nay, can we? And so from there, we move on to the next one. And, and the next one is the plague of flies. The plague of flies here. And, and so you see that also in chapter 8. Uh, down there. 
uh, around verse 20, you know, when he said, okay, go and present yourself to Pharaoh again and tell him, you know, this is what's going to happen next. All these swarm of flies are going to come on, on man and, on, and, and, and in your houses. And, but this time, you know, uh, uh, it's gonna, there's going to be a change about it. But before we go there, you know, once again, you think you know, the opportunities that God keeps giving Pharaoh to change. You know, and it strikes me that you know, God, in a sense, knew he wouldn't change. He knew his heart well. He knew that with every demand, how he, how he handled it, he, 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 how he would perhaps lie about it, you know, what he would do. I mean, he, it, it, it's, not, it's not a surprise to God, and yet God has still given him opportunities. And so you see, so verse 20, present yourself. Verse 21, if you do not let my people go, then this will happen. So here's, here's the condition. If you don't, then this. And so it struck me, not only you see God's kindness, God's compassion, but I think also you see God's forbearance with Pharaoh. God long-suffering with Pharaoh. Here's a man who truly has a hard heart. God knew it. Knew it. But he still was suffering with him. Still forbearing with him each step of the way. Because these, it's not just about Pharaoh. It's about God presenting himself. It's about God revealing himself. It's about God presenting these object lessons. Whether it's you know, through you know, the water or it's through frogs or whether it's through you know, you know, flies. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, God is, is teaching the Egyptians and the Israelites and everyone Concerning himself. And this time, we, one of the things he says, I am a God that can distinguish. I'm a God that directs specifically, you know, where the plague goes, how the plague happens, when it happens, and when it's gone. I'm the one who controls it, God is saying here. And it's here that we begin seeing the distinction between the land of Goshen, where the Israelites you know, were, and the rest of the land of Egypt. And you, and you think about that idea of God now distinguishing. What does, it say God, what does that say about God's ability to judge? What does that say about the ability of God to judge this, when he's able to make this distinction of where the plague is going to affect the people? Precise in his judgment. And so if you think about the two nations, you know, in a general sense, Egypt and Israel. And so Israel represents what people? Whose people? God's people, all right? And in, in a general sense, they are the righteous, all right? And so you know, that's God's people, that's God's righteous people, but then what does Egypt stand for? Are they God's people? No, they're not God's people. And what kind of people are they? Ungodly. They're the unrighteous. So you think about this plague when God starts making a distinction between where the judgments fall. And in these judgments were, were lessons, they were signs. And so with this, with this particular one, he started to distinguish, I have the, the, the power and the mind and the will you know, to distinguish between my judgment, so I know how to judge the wicked, and I know how to protect the righteous. Jonathan. So that's the 
Peter 2, verse 9, uh, mm -hmm. he, sp he speaks of preserving Noah when he destroyed the ancient world. He preserved Lot when he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and then he says, the Lord knows how to rescue the, the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Right. And, and, and so I think this, you know, this particular you know, flag begins to illustrate that. You know, you know, that that's what God is showing to, to the world. You know, that he judges. He distinguishes. He knows how to take care of his people. You know, and he does so in, in this particular plague. And so as you, as you look here in chapter 8, and, and you, you know, once again, when the plague comes, you know, and of course, you know, Pharaoh now wants it gone again. He, tr he tries to start reason through that. He got, you know, the, the different excuses and you know, different conditions that Pharaoh kind of throws out. Uh, and of course, Moses explains, no, that can't be done that way. But the, the very idea that Pharaoh entreats Moses to entreat God. That Pharaoh has to ask Moses to make supplication to Jehovah. What does that say about where Pharaoh is now? He's still stubborn. <laughs> still hard-hearted. You know, he's still, he, he's unwilling to bend, really. But what's it saying about Pharaoh's recognition of Jehovah? Okay, that's that, that's one idea. He's not worthy to do so. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure that's really the reason. Yeah, you know, because go back to point. You know, Pharaohs saw themselves as gods. But uh, what's something else you think? You know, think about you know, the fact that he has to ask Moses to treat Jehovah. What does it say about how Pharaoh is thinking about God? He's calling on God for help. Right. Where he started off, you know, when they first come to Pharaoh, what's he saying about God? He says, what question does he say about God? Who's God? He, and he didn't know who God is. At this point, he still doesn't really know who God is. I mean, in the way that he needs to comprehend him. But at this point, does he know more of who this God is than he was before? Yes. And so the fact that he has to ask Moses to entreat God to stop the plague, to remove you know, the plague from their, you know, from their land, is, is he is acknowledging now that the source of the plagues is the God of the Hebrews. Linda. It's like the epitome of that doesn't get to the end of our time to run himself from all of these. Yes, uh-huh, right, Yeah. He, 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 is, he is fighting that process tooth and nail. You know? And so you think about that, that idea of you know, none of self. And all of thee. Well, he's not there. It's all about all of self and none of thee. But at this point, you know, there is an acknowledgement. And so you know, where he didn't know God at all, now, okay, maybe there is a God. <laughs> On some level, I recognize that he, that he is. Uh, and so with, as we go along through this, obviously with each, with each plague, with each lesson, you know, each test, you know, you know, they get stronger, they get more severe, uh, and it's hardening his heart. Uh, and so we go on now to the next one as we move along here in chapter 9. Uh, and you've got the, 
moraine of cattle or the death of livestock. And you think up to this point, from the water to the flies, you know, uh, the, the, all the plagues have been, you know, they've caused suffering. And, and they've caused some severe unpleasantries, inconveniences. But from here on out, what are the, what are the plagues going to do? They're going to change. It is not simply, okay, you're suffering a severe, unpleasant inconvenience now. You know, okay, you know, you don't have any fresh water easily available. And so they had to go search for it. Okay, you know, you got frogs everywhere. Okay, you know, you, know, you, you got, you know, you know, the uncomfortableness and unpleasantry of biting insects. You know, both, probably both not only with the gnat fly, lice ones, but also probably with the flies. It probably wasn't just house flies. It's probably some other fly that you know, would have caused you know, a, a bigger problem. But with the death of livestock, what's happening now is you have the beginning of their suffering having a cost. It's a great cost now to them. Now, God had warned them, you know, it warned that if Pharaoh continued letting, not letting Israel go, that the judges are going to become more severe. And so, once again, God in the, is showing his forbearance and his compassion, his mercy toward Pharaoh, in spite of the fact that he has such a hard heart. Because ultimately, if you take the principle of 2 Peter chapter you know, 3, you know, you know, verse you know, 9 and 10, God desires what? From all men. What does he want all men to do? Worship him, but to worship him, we have to do first what? We have to do a change. What's the word we use for change? He wants all to come to repentance. Now, would, would Pharaoh fall under that? Yes. Pharaoh would have fallen, you know, he would have fallen under that, that, that concept, that principle of the nature of God. God wants all men to come to repentance. And, he, and God longed for Pharaoh to, you know, you know, to come to repentance, and therefore he gives him opportunity, but God just knows that his demands are simply going to harden him along the way. And just as God knows all men will not be saved, is it because it's, you know, God's plan cannot save them? No, God's way can. God's way can save them. What's going to be the reason why someone's not saved? Is it because of God was powerless? No. It's because God, because the heart would not submit to the demand, the expectation, you know, the call. And so, you know, God keeps giving the opportunity, and Pharaoh keeps rejecting it. You know, and once again, this one, God specified on what day this is going to happen. And he says, no, somewhere out there, no. This is going to happen to you because this is what you're, what you're not doing. You're not letting my people go. So this, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something worse to you. And this is when it's going to happen to you. And uh, it was, you know, it, you know, when you think about, you know, about this, and you, it, to me it just strikes me verse 7. Yeah. Okay, so, after the, so it's after the fact. Yeah. You get all, all these dead animals in Egypt. And you don't have any dead animals in Israel. In, in the land of Goshen. And so what does Pharaoh do to, make, to, to see if that's true? 
He goes, have someone check that out. Pharaoh wanted ver verification. He wanted to know if this, and he does. So he confirms, you know, to be truly what God had said. You think about that idea. The word of God be confirmed and verified. You know, when God specifies something, he means it. When God specifies something, he means it. And God's word is not left up to be interpreted by just anybody any way they want to. The next, the next one is the boils. You know, of course, this is it's, it's being done in the sight of, uh, of Pharaoh and his magicians. They, you know, they, they take you know, uh, soot from a kiln and they throw it up like dust. And then boils start breaking out on, on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. And, uh, and, of course, we said the magicians who already confess, you know, what's happening now is the, is the finger of God. <laughs> you know, this is God at work. You know, we can't do anything like this. And so th they have to leave the room. And, of course, uh, Pharaoh's heart is just, you know, a little bit more harder. You know, amazing how hard a heart can get and it can get, and it can get harder. And so you see, particularly in verse 13 through 17, where now God is having Moses speak to, to Pharaoh again. And, and when you think about it, here is God I am. Is us, he's using the plagues to basically say there's no, there's no one like me. And, and this one, he says, there is no one like me in all the earth. Later on, I talk about how the earth belongs to God. And, and you think and you think about that, he says, I, what did God say he could have done? He says, he tells Pharaoh, I could have done what to you? Pursue your people with pestilence. Yeah. yeah look, look, in verse, look at verse 15. In your own words, you know, just, you just, in your own words, what, what does that mean? He says, God says, I could have done what to you as a nation? I, I could wipe you out. He says, but you're still here because I'm letting you still be here. He, he talks about how, I, verse 8, I have allowed you to remain. Why? See, it's all about God revealing himself to them and us. You know, to the world and to his people. He says, I've allowed you to remain, you know. And yes, these are my judgments and these are judgments that are signs about, you know, that point to me. And it's so that, you know, so that I can show my power. It's, this is the power of the I am. But not only that, he says, not only do I want you to see my power, recognize my power, but also I'm doing it to proclaim my name so that my name is going to be heard everywhere. When you come to the city of Jericho, what do we learn about how news travels? They had already heard. They had heard. They had heard. But God, Jehovah, the God I am, had done to Egypt. They heard. Now, you're talking about several years later. <laughs> yeah. And so, approximately 40 years later, news has spread that the Canaanites are fearful of the people of Jehovah. Because God had proclaimed himself. 
The next one is hail. You know, and of course, once again, God explains to them that the, the, the purpose of this hail. Uh, and, uh, and this hail is not just, not, not just any kind of hail. You know, if you leave anything out, if you're out in the field, and you, and you're going to get killed. That's how severe, how bad this storm is going to be. And so what's interesting here, we talk about the magicians. You know, they were the first ones to change their attitude toward God. Now you've got servants of Jehovah in verse 20. Yeah, who basically, when they hear the warning, what do they go do? What do some of the, the, the servants do? Yeah, they, they go out, you know, and, and they bring their servants and their livestock in. Why is that? Why do they bring them in? Because what? Who did they fear? They feared God. See, this group. Has learned the lesson. Yeah. A lesson that Pharaoh hasn't yet learned. To fear God. To fear the word of God. And that when God says something. And see. And they have proof that when what God has said comes to pass. And so they have taken a heart. And so they. Spared their servants. And livestock from death. But there's always those. Verse 21. Who don't pay attention. And don't regard the word of God and what happened? Death. Death happened. And so it's, it's interesting, at this point, you know, we know, okay, you know, Pharaoh is acknowledging God on one level, in one sense. He recognizes that God is, God's power is behind all of this. At this point, when he comes with the devastation that has, that has occurred in Egypt, but not in Goshen, you know, he, he calls upon, you know, Moses, Aaron, and this time, what does he confess about himself? He says, I've sinned. So, so now so he's, he's changing his, his, his heart somewhat. But, you know, you know, Moses tells him, verse 30, but I know that you still, you, you know, you're saying this. You're saying you've sinned, you know, and you're confessing God is righteous, you know, and you want me to, you know, to make supplication on your behalf to, to stop this terrible devastation in your land, you know, the God who is the Lord of the earth. Yeah, to, yeah. He says, but I know you do not fear the Lord God. Now, some of the servants do, but Pharaoh doesn't. He's confessing wrong, but he doesn't fear God. So just because we admit we're wrong doesn't mean we're right with God. That was almost like the devastation taking Yeah, uh-huh, right. Yes. So with this, with this particular plague and, and the next one, the hail and the locust, both devastating things, you know, what, what does this plague affect most of all? Crops. Their food supply. With, with the plagues, and the latter plagues, they get, they, they've got more severe. And the earlier ones, are, they're bad, they're, they're, they're uncomfortable, they're terrible, you know, we don't want them. But these latter ones are beginning to affect, and there's a greater cost to it. So now their food supply is you know, being basically devastated. Yeah. We'll have to stop there, and we'll try to just kind of sum that up and get into our next test. Thank you so much for your attention. Appreciate you know, your study.